One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze. Relax and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. We observe today not a victory of party, but a celebration of freedom. Across the UK, online and on DAB, the independent republic of Mike Graham on talk radio. The human zoo, where they don't hide away the sick animals. Dangerous mid-morning debate with the great dictator. The independent republic of Mike Graham. Stand to attention, I'm talking to you! On talk radio. Dismiss! Good morning and welcome to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk Radio. We have reached the end of yet another turbulent week in the crazy world of the Have I Got News For You election. We're just 27 days away from choosing the next government and everyone just can't stop giving stuff away. The Labour Party have launched their most audacious policy yet, free broadband for every household in the nation after they nationalise all the broadband companies. Sky, BT and Virgin might have something to say about that, of course. Meanwhile, Boris Johnson wants to reopen all the railway lines that were shut down in the 1960s. And by the time we get to December the 12th, everything could be actually free. This morning we're joined by Lib Dems' Christine Jardine, Edinburgh MP, to talk about what they are offering voters in the big winter giveaway. It's like the Boxing Day sales have come early. Uh, So I've been asking you uh, on Twitter and other versions of social media, just send us your tweets, send us your texts through 87222, uh, tweet us at Talk Radio, tell us what you want uh, in order to vote for the party of your choice. Doesn't sound terribly democratic, does it? And of course, we want to hear from you on the phones as well, because you are the people who will make the real difference in this actual election. 0344 We're also joined later on by Brexit Party MEP Alex Phillips for the latest on their accusations that the Tories have been trying to bribe Brexit Party members to stop them from standing in various constituencies. And we'll be looking at class and social mobility, the big Prince Andrew interview on the BBC this weekend, and because it's Friday, we'll have another sparkling edition of the Perrier Awards. 0344 499 It's the only number you're going to need for the next three hours. You're listening to me, Mike Graham, right here on your election station, Talk Radio. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. So you'd be forgiven for thinking uh, that uh, politics was a very straightforward and simple um, prospect, wouldn't you? All you need to do is offer people a load of free stuff. They vote for you. You get to be in the government and then you give them the free stuff. It doesn't seem to work that way very often, though, does it? We're being offered an awful lot at the moment. The Labour Party saying they want to give everybody free broadband. I mean, I'd be happy if I could get a 3G signal of any kind in some parts of this country. We're going to be talking to Christine Jardin, who's the Edinburgh MP for the Lib Dems. There are certain parts of Scotland where you can't get a phone signal at all. So I'd be very interested to hear how Labour are going to do that. But let's talk to Christine. Uh, she's been on this show many times before. Uh, she is campaigning, of course, on behalf of the Lib Dems uh, to stay in the European Union. Christine, a very good morning to you. 
Good morning. Now, I've vowed, Christine, I don't know whether we can manage to do this, to actually talk to you about Lib Dem <laughs> policy which doesn't involve Brexit. Can we do that, please? Well, we can try, but we will, and I'm going to have to do it, but we will have to accept that everything will come back to, everything is dependent on what we do about Brexit. Yes. Well, that is true to an extent. But what I'm yeah. going to try and avoid is having the same old conversation that you and I always have about mm. whether it's better to stay in or whether it's better to stay out. Because at the moment... Yeah, I we've think had that conversation. We have had that conversation. I know where you stand. You know where we yep. stand as far as, you know, the other parties are concerned. And at the yep. end of the day, um, let's talk about the things that are being offered outside of that. Uh, albeit yep. that, uh, that, yes, of course, there are, there are complications that might involve Brexit. But let's start, for example with what you're offering the uh, the great British public, because you've so far said you're going to spend £100 billion on tackling climate change, £5 billion for flood prevention, uh, which is definitely required at this time. The skills wallet that you that you organised and talked about a little bit earlier on this week. Um, is, that, is that it, or have you got some more giveaways for us? Well, I don't want to um, preempt the, the manifesto launch, which we'll be telling you in uh, great detail where everything is. And the important thing to remember about us is that everything has been properly... Costed. We don't have a magic money tree, and you know. Well, everybody I, else I has. If, well, well, I think. See, I think actually Boris has sneaked into um, Jeremy's allotment when he wasn't uh, paying attention and pinched his magic money tree because they just all seem to be making up. Things. What we would like is the Office of Budget Responsibility to ensure that all the parties have done their homework properly. Now we know that we have, and we've got a properly costed um, manifesto, and hopefully the other parties have, and they're not just picking numbers out of the year and promising things, outrageous things like free broadband for everybody, which I have to be honest, gives me a wee bit of creeps state-owned um, internet company. Um, that's not really... Um, that would worry me in terms of... Yes, I mean, certainly... I do certainly... not want a state broadband a state-owned broadband company. You also have to ask questions about competition rules. Yes. Well, one of the things that has come onto my social media feed uh, since that announcement was made was not, apart from all the jokes about what they want for free next, uh, basically it's, (laughs) I'm not very comfortable with having the state monitoring and being in charge of my, my internet access. No, I think it's quite scary. I mean, that's, you know... Um, I was in China uh, last year and um, the state there owns and runs the, the internet and I was told to take a black phone with me and things. You know, we, it's you know, George Orwell's vision come true. Yeah. If you have internet in your house, which the state owns, they have access to all your data, they have access to everything you do and everything, all your communications, that's not good for civil liberties. No. Now, you can put the cost of it aside and you can talk about whether or not you want everyone to have broadband, and we do want everyone to have broadband. And in Scotland, yes, we have major problems um, with the, the SNP not having rolled it out in the, the areas that need it most first. But it comes right when it comes down to who owns it, do you want Big Brother on all your telephone calls, all your, your broadband, all your internet, no, I don't think you do. Also, I think you may find that Sky, BT and Virgin Media might have something to say about it because nobody's mentioned how much it's going to cost to compensate them for taking it off them. Well, there is that. There's also that. And there's also there's, there's the question of a proper... What, you, what we really need is a properly regulated market rather than removing um, the competition. And then you have to ask, if you drill down into this deeper, and I don't know the answer to this question, Mike, so I'm really just asking at the moment... The European Union has quite strict competition rules and uh, demands that there is competition on services so that the consumers get the best deal. Now, if we are going to, if Labour is saying that they're going to stay in the European Union, 
how is that going to work? Or are they just assuming that we'll be leaving the European Union and we don't need to worry about European Union competition rules? Now, I don't know the answer to that question. Neither do they, but, funnily enough. Yeah. But I'll tell you what, let's talk about <laughs> the Lib Dem policy, right? The skills wallet. Yeah, let's, let's, let's start with that because James Whale uh, of this very parish, funnily enough, one evening was talking about the skills wallet when you'd announced it. And he, like many people of his age, were wondering why it stops at 55. Because one of the things that a lot of people would say they quite like the idea of doing is if you reach maybe a retirement age or near retirement age, you think, you know what, maybe I'll go and learn a new skill or maybe I'll go and, you know, do a degree in art appreciation or something like that. You know, it'd be nice if, if the Lib Dems would give me some money for that because they're giving it to people throughout their lives. Why stop it at 55? Um, to be honest, I think, you know, it's, uh, it's an idea which we are being quite innovative with. We're coming forward and saying this is what we want to do. Now, people will look at it and they might see ways that it could be developed in the future. Mm. I think that the important thing about it is that this is what we want to do now and it's part of Joe's whole vision for a brighter future for the country, for a different way of doing things. To have a well-being economy that looks at how we improve people's lives and that the standard by which we judge projects, by which we judge the economy, is not always just GDP. It's well-being. What is the well-being factor in this? How does it help people? And the skills wallet and other things like that are all ways of, of tackling that and changing that because what we don't want is to be stuck in the same old rut with the Labour Party and the Conservative Party fighting each other, thinking about how they beat each other, offering things that they can't afford, but, you know, like the, you know, broadband, um, rather than looking at what is best for this country and the well-being of this country. That's how we've got ourselves into this mess that we're in at the moment. It's about this tribal, two-party constant battle, and we need to get away from that. We need to look at something different, and I think our policies are generally across the board, and of course you'll say I'm, I'm biased, they would be, but I think if you look at them in the cold light of day, and you look at the fact that we want to spend all this money on climate change, tackling climate change, it's the biggest single issue we have at the moment, and there is no second chance we get it right or we fail completely. And where will you get that £100 billion from? Because that's a lot of money. Well, we have talked We have talked a lot about how we would re reform the tax system. And, of course, there will be money which, if we don't leave the European Union, and I'm sorry to mention that again, <laughs> there will be money which, if we don't leave the European Union, will be available to us. And we have talked about um, reforming the tax system and corporations. And all the rest of it. But the actual details, I'm afraid, I don't want to really, I don't want to preempt the manifesto. The details of how we will do this will be in the manifesto. And Ed Davey has gone to extreme lengths to look at um, how we can afford it. I mean, we've got a clear plan. Um, it would combat climate change. And it's, across the five-year parliament, it would, 100 billion is a spread that is not unreasonable. There'd be 10 billion for, for a new renewable power fund to leverage in um, and we'll fast-track sort of things like the deployment of clean energy and invest $15 billion. Now, you see, where will we get this money from? Well, believe me, it has been properly costed. And Ed Davey is quite keen that we stand, the, if you like, the homework test from the OBR, um, the Office of Budget Responsibility, do we get that we would like other parties to. OK. Well, it's always great when I get politicians like you, Christine, on saying, believe me. Uh, but So I will wait and see. <laughs> uh, it's one of my favourite <laughs> phrases. But when is your manifesto actually published? Is it the weekend? <laughs> Yeah, I think it's coming out in the next few days. Um, but we've had um, uh, many manifestos over the past week. Yeah. We've looked at things like and the pink tax, which was um, a bit of a hobby horse of mine. It was a private member's bill of mine 
that I don't like um, gender-targeted pricing. I think it's unfair. If you have a, a family with um, a mother and two daughters, then it's going to cost you 37% more for basic goods than if you have a family with you know, a mother and two sons um, or, you know, women. This is, the, this is the, the, the effect of the VAT on certain products, yep. right? Yeah. yeah, well, it's not the VAT, it's the targeting and the way that, I mean, basically from where we're children, um, we look at how, uh, if, if you look at how things are marketed, they're marketed for girls and for boys. Um, I had a friend who went to the supermarket recently and said that she'd found even tortilla wraps which were marketed differently from boys and girls. The girls were strawberry flavoured and all about unicorns and, uh-huh. and the boys were, you know, superheroes and ketchup flavoured. Now that's outrageous. Um, and what we find when it's targeted... Well, it's not outrageous, is it? It's marketing. It's just marketing. Yeah, but it's it's the pricing that's different. Now, if if you're paying more for a haircut because you're a woman and you're also, you're facing the gender pay gap, that's a double whammy. So that's the sort of thing that, you know, we think in terms of equalities, it's important to, to tackle. And not just for women, but also for LGBT and BAME. There has to be proper pay reporting so that we make sure that people are equal in all respects. Well, surely you just get paid the same amount of money for the same job. It's that simple, isn't it? Well, you would hope. But yesterday was... Um, um, but I found you that was the case in my business, you know, because then I could go to Piers Morgan and say, why don't I get the same money he gets? You know? <laughs> Well, that would that would be. I, I don't want to comment on on your salary or Piers Morgan's. That could get me. Into <laughs> well, why don't you want to fight on my behalf? I didn't want to fight on your behalf, but <laughs> it's a shocking <laughs> state of affairs. Let me ask you this, right? Latest opinion polls suggesting yep. the December general election may be a two-horse race, and these are the figures I've got here in front of me. It's a Britain Elects live opinion poll tracker: thirty-seven point two percent Tories, twenty-eight point six percent Labour, up quite substantially; sixteen point one percent Lib Dems, about even; nine point three percent Brexit. Do you suspect that that will change between now and December the twelfth? Yeah, I. I mean, I. Uh... I've been doing this for quite some years now, as I'm sure you have, and you look at opinion polls and you take them with a pinch of salt because, you know, they're a guide, but they're not the same across the country. Uh, If they were the same across the country, you'd get the same result in every seat. You don't. There are regional variations. There are things which change when policies come out. And as it gets closer to the election more people make up their minds about how they're going to vote. And they're going to look, I'm quite confident, at what the Liberal Democrats are offering in terms of equalities, immigration, sensible policies, climate change, putting it front and centre, and really getting to grips with the problems that the planet's facing. They're going to look at that and they're going to take it seriously, as they have been doing. The European elections didn't predict, I don't think, I can't remember the opinion polls, but I don't remember any of them predicting we were going to beat both Labour and Conservative, but we did. And that can happen again on December the 12th. There's a long way to go. And, you know, the only poll, I know I'm going to sound like a politician here, but, you know, the only poll that counts is the one on December the 12th. No, of course. And I would expect you to say that anyway. What about the SNP as well, though? But you're just talking broadly about Scotland. Yep. You know, you guys have been yep. involved in a, 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 a Remain alliance in, in the rest of the UK. Mm-hmm. Why not in Scotland with the SNP? Because they won't take independence off the table. Independence is the only thing that matters to the SNP. Um, and they like to give the impression that it's the only thing that matters to everybody in Scotland, but it's not because we actually voted against independence. But um, the SNP will not take it off the table. They've put it front and centre in this campaign. And what I could never understand is why they don't see the contradiction in making an argument, as we do, as the Liberal Democrats do, that you know the best place for the United Kingdom is in the larger trading bloc 
of the European Union, and it's good for us. Now, you know that that's my position and has been for a long time. But my position in Scotland is exactly the same. There's a consistency. The best place for Scotland is within the United Kingdom. But the SNP don't see it that way. They want to break Scotland away from the United Kingdom. And I don't understand why they don't see the contradiction in those two policies. So, no. that, so that's why you, you won't be standing aside, because you're both for Remain, though, so that's why I'm well, slightly why puzzled. Well, why would I stand aside? Why would I stand, why would I stand aside for the SNP when, you know, we beat them in places? You know, they're not, the SNP are not a party entirely of Remain. And let's remember that when it came to the Remain election, the SNP spent less on the referendum um, on the, the Remain campaign than they did in a by-election in Shetland earlier this year, which they lost. Now, they spent, I think it was 90-something on the Shetland by-election, 90-something thousand, and 60-something, you know, I you know, can't quite remember the figures, but you can check them and you will find that they spent more on a by-election in Shetland with an electorate which is much less than you'd find in a Westminster constituency than they spent on a nationwide referendum. Yeah. Well, a lot of people think it's rather unfair in the electoral system where a party can get a, a small number of people who vote for them and they can get so many MPs. But, you know, there are many anomalies in the system, really. But yeah. for this you to say, why well, I agree with you, why should you stand aside? I'm actually not one of those who thinks any of these alliances are a particularly good idea because I don't think for democracy, taking people off the, the ballot is actually healthy. Well, But you're doing it in other parts of the country. Yeah, we're doing it in other parts of the country because we have common cause and we are the main party, the lead party of Remain, and I'm sorry, we're getting back to Brexit. No, I know, but, but what uh, I'm saying is it's, it's politically, it's, democratically it's speaking, it's not healthy, is it? It's different than Scotland. In Scotland, we have the situation where the SNP centre every single election. The only thing that matters to them is independence. Now, we fundamentally disagree with that. If they take independence off the table, they might find that people were prepared to work with them. And actually, over the past few years, we have talked to the SNP about various different things. Um, and, you know, just recently, uh, Joe spoke to uh, Ian Blackford about the general election. We have spoken to them about different things, but it all comes down to they will not take independence off the table to focus on the issues which are facing the country at the moment, which we all need to focus on. We all need to do something about climate change. We need to do something about poverty. We need to do something about our immigration problems, about inequality. But the SNP will not do that as long as they campaign for independence, and that is the only thing that, they ma that matters to them. It's a whole raison d'etre. Christine Jardine, thank you very much indeed. Christine Jardine is, of course, Lib Dem candidate for Edinburgh West. Other candidates are Craig William Bolton from the Scottish Labour Party, Elaine Gunn from the Scottish Green Party, Graham James Hutchison, Scottish Conservative and Unionist, and Sarah Louise Masson uh, from the Scottish National Party. We are, of course, your election station. This is Talk Radio. Dangerous mid-morning debate with the great dictator. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. give away secrets from the talk radio kind of hall of election specials but uh, is there some connection charlotte ivers to you and this song i don't know what you could possibly be talking right. about I think it's that's not like a, a karaoke song i don't think I, I don't think i sang this song at karaoke last really? night at all no i think that's Let's hope a... there's no pictorial evidence of that <laughs> otherwise obviously we'll have to hold you to account let's talk about labor party john mcdonald's been talking about giving a lot of stuff away uh, what's he been saying to you well i had a chat with him this morning he he's got a pretty big offer to the electorate 
he is offering free Wi-Fi and broadband for everyone. Right. And that's going to cost him £20 billion, and it's going to save you and me £30 a month. That's extraordinary, isn't it? It's it's huge. There are not many people out there who think that he could do it, apart from anything else, though, because first they'd have to reclaim back all the companies, presumably, that actually sell us the broadband. Well, not strictly speaking. He's claiming he would just have to claim back OpenReach, which is part of BT, and it's, it's essentially the infrastructure that creates the broadband. No. It's a bit like the train tracks are nationalised, but yeah. all the train tra- companies then operate on them. So he reckons it's it's not that big a step, essentially. I wanted to know, because they're, they're also looking to nationalise water, mm. they're looking to nationalise rail, all sorts of utilities. Why are they doing this? Is it to put money back in our pockets? And I said to him, look, if you want to put money back in my pocket, couldn't you save yourself a lot of effort by just giving me a tax cut or raising personal yeah. allowance? This is what he said in response to that. The issue for us now is people have had enough of being ripped off by these privatisations in water, in rail and mail and energy. People have had enough and they just want a they just want a fair system. And the best way to achieve that, certainly in terms of basic public utilities, in things that are virtual monopolies, is to make sure they're under public ownership and control. So I thought that was interesting because yeah. I said to him, is it just about money? in my pocket at the end of the month. And he was very clear, no, this is about fairness, this is about people yeah. being ripped off. It's very different ideologically to the Conservatives who will just say, look, we want you to have more money. Yeah. Whereas this is very much the idea that something something is unfair here. There are people who are unfairly benefiting. And it, it always appears that way, doesn't it? Because mm. the people who run these private utility companies, often uh, firms based abroad, are making quite good money out of the fact that they are uh, charging us money for things like electricity, for water and all that. But there's no evidence. I mean, I lived long enough for, for when, when it was all nationalised. It wasn't any cheaper uh, <laughs> to get your water or to get your electricity or to get your gas. I mean, it hasn't gone up particularly um, because it's been privatised, because it's gone up because of all the green taxes that have been put on by the government. Uh, the water has pretty much been the same. So, you know, there's no evidence. They don't don't ever say, we'll charge you less money. Well, this is the concern, and that's sort of what I wanted to get through to him. If you cut taxes, I know that I'm going to end up with more money at the end of the month because less is being taken off me. But if you go in this massive, massive spending programme of renationalisation, it's not even guaranteed that I'll feel better off and have no. cheaper train tickets and cheaper water at the end of it. I was really keen to ask him as well because... We've spoken a lot about how there are lots of big, big numbers being thrown around. And frankly, you and I don't know the difference between 5 billion mm. and 10 billion. No. Tories want to spend 5 billion on broadband, Labour wants to spend 20 billion. I, I don't know what I'm getting in different right. terms in that. So I, I wanted to ask him, what's the difference between you guys? You're both spending a lot, but what's the difference between mm. the Conservatives and Labour? This is what he told me. We've got to recognise the scale of the problems and challenges we face both in terms of climate change and in terms of ending austerity, rebuilding our public services, but also investing in our economy for the future. The scale is big because the challenges are big, but if we don't do it now, both on climate change, on our public services and on rebuilding our economy, our children and grandchildren will never forgive us. And here's an interesting stat for you. EU average domestic electricity prices, right? Britain uh, is not even in the top ten. Most expensive, Denmark, Germany, Belgium, Spain, Ireland, Portugal, Italy, Austria, Sweden, Cyprus, Greece, all more expensive for electricity than we are. So, you know, uh, there's no magic uh, sort of uh, tree here of any kind, really. What about the Tories? What are they up to? Well, they've, they've also gone on a very big populist pu- push. They want to save the pubs. 
So you get free Wi-Fi no, and you save your pub. It? Well, exactly. I think it's it's very much retail how gonna, politics. How are you going to save the pub? Just go there and drink more. <laughs> well, I think that would that would support it pretty yeah. effectively. You'd let the private sector make the choice. No. So firstly, they want to cut business rates. They want our high streets to be regenerated by just again, businesses having more money in their pockets and being able to stay functioning. But they've also got a more interesting policy, I think, that's a bit more unusual. They want, say you and I, our local pub closes down Mm. because it's no longer viable, no one's buying enough drinks there. They want to provide help for us to write a legal bid to take over the pub ourselves. Well, as a sort of local community. As a local community, right. exactly. So they're, they're going to put money into funding legal advice and help us draft all of the things we'd need to do that. And then also, they're going to ban in the first nine months the owners of the pub from selling it to anyone apart from the community group. Wow. But presumably if they can't sell it um, and they can't run it, they'll just shut it, won't they? And then it will just stay closed for nine months. Well, this this is my concern about it. You're, yeah. you're sort of stuck there with a pub that you can't sell right. and that isn't made turning a profit and the government saying, they, no, you I can't mean, sell they, it. They can't make you keep it open and lose money, can they? No, exactly. So I think you just have to sit on it for nine months yeah. or be forced to sell it potentially yeah. for a lower price to this community group. Yeah. Amazing. All I can see from that is a lot of bar fights going on between <laughs> members of the community who want to do something different with the pub. I want to put a jukebox in. No, <laughs> let's have a fight about it. Charlotte, thank you very much indeed. Charlotte Ivers there at Talk Radio's political correspondent uh, and possibly a karaoke singer as well. We're not sure. We're not going there any further. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Now, we hear an awful lot in this country about the divisions of class, the divisions of the way that people vote, the divisions of the way that people live, the divisions of the where uh, people live and how difficult they find getting out of the social class that they were born into. Supposedly, if you were born into a working-class family, you will more than likely continue to live in a working-class family, and you will probably die in a working-class family. But a new report has come out uh, by Civitas, the think tank, who actually have said the complete opposite is true. Let's talk to Paul Gregg, Professor of Economic and Social Policy at the University of Bath. Paul, a very good morning to you. Welcome. Hi. Thanks very much for joining us. This came as quite a surprise to me, to be honest, because we do hear an awful lot of how social mobility in this country is a problem. Um, This report would suggest it's not. Yeah, I mean, when you get any kind of big stylized fact, um, you're likely to get some people giving out as uh, uh, contrarian to that to that 
conventional yes. view. Mm. So you get some people who argue that climate change isn't being driven by, you know, by men, by mankind. Uh, I even watched something on the telly about uh, people in the States who believe uh, that the, the world is flat. And, <laughs> and they believe that the, uh, the fact that it, people say it's round is a conspiracy driven by science and NASA. Yeah, I mean, giving away free internet is not such a good idea in these circumstances. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the internet seems to, s to spread some of these kinds of uh, wackier ideas. Yeah. Um, so, uh, as in those kind of cases, what you tend to have is a sort of a set of agreed facts, if you like, mm. which are sort of common across people. And then at some point, those uh, those uh, arguments diverge. And these guys at Civitas, the person who's authoring it, is one of the small number of people who have a contrarian view about the extent of social mobility in Britain. In my view, what they present is very partial and very selective uh, view of what's going on and, and is kind of missing the bigger picture. OK. I mean, he's saying that his study found that 65% of those with working-class parents have moved up in social class. I mean, I think class is a fascinating uh, conversation. I've always thought it was fascinating because having yeah. lived in other countries, I think Britain alone is very much more class-ridden than any other society that, that I've ever spent time in anyway. Um, and it seems to me that, uh, that it's not as bad as it was from the point of view of if you are born into a working-class family. You know, I went to state schools all my life. You know, yeah, there were kids who came from poorer backgrounds than I did who probably would not have been as successful as I was, partly because I was more kind of middle-class. I think it's not as bad as that now. Well, I mean, so, yeah, you're, you're right that um, we tend to talk about it much more than other countries. Um, we have a view that we're a fairly sort of class-ridden society. Um, so that is kind of... The two ways we look at it is, you know, there is some mobility in Britain. Some people move around, some working class kids get into top you know, professional jobs and some people start there, fall down the distribution. Um, so we tend to either look across countries to say, how are we doing? Or we look across time mm. uh, to say how we're doing. Um, I don't want to get sort of too technical here, but there's also sort of two ways of doing it. And they give slightly different pictures. There's the class based way of looking at it. And then there's income. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so class is generally based on your father's occupation and your own occupation. Mm. Yeah. Income is money. Right. Very simple, very straightforward sure. and very easy to compare across countries. Um, what the story is, and this is kind of, let's just sort of say what we know and then try and do the comparisons, is if you're born into uh, a working class family, you're twice as likely, around two and a half times as likely to be in a working class occupation yourself mm. than a person who's born into a, a more affluent middle class family. And likewise, the more affluent kid is, is twice, two and a half times as likely to be in a professional managerial position as a kid born to a working class family. That's kind of, that's where we are. Right. And what about education? Because I know an yeah. awful lot of people uh, that I speak to just on the radio, people that call in from time to time, and whenever we have a conversation about public schools, if you send your children to public school, yeah. uh, they're more than likely to sort of move up socially, aren't they? Yeah, and usually end up as Prime Minister. Um, Steady. <laughs> um, so, yes, education is is a powerful driver of this story, yeah. but it's not exclusively the story, right? So, if you come from a, a well-off family and go to university, 
and end up in you know the top professions or what have you, you will earn more than a kid who came from a working class family who ends up in the same jobs. Yes. Okay. Right. So if you think of you know professional jobs, there's kind of levels. Yeah. You know, you've got your basic lawyers, you've got your high court lawyers, you've got your judges, and so on. Mm. Those from more affluent families rise to the top more of any profession that you're talking about. Yes. Right. So kids from working class families who make it to university study the same degree at the same university and get the same you know uh, uh, educational attainment level earn about 20 percent less mm-hmm. right in the jobs that they so do so should afterwards. we be talking about the class pay gap rather than the gender pay gap well exactly so i'm just writing a paper on that exactly. oh, well, listen, well, when you, well when you've written it we'd like to hear from you because that's a fascinating right. subject as well and and, it, and it's very similar mm. right uh, that the class pay gap is very similar to the gender pay gap and yeah. indeed by ethnic minority status as well whether you're from an ethnic minority yeah that in all cases that you're in the region of around 15 to 20 percent mm. pay differences lower pay if you come from whichever you know the category which is lower on those metrics right um uh when you achieve the same educational level yeah right you know so men and women women are slightly better educated than men earn about 20 percent cleverer as well to be honest (laughs) let's face it let's just admit it now those those from uh uh, (laughs) those you know from ethnic minority families are slightly better educated now than the white population right but earned 15 percent less you know it's the same it's the class pay gap is exactly the same that the people you know going educational success from a working class kid does not guarantee the same level of career success right because one of the things that we hear about all the time is that particularly in this world where uh, we talk an awful lot about uh, black and ethnic minority uh, minority representation in the workplace in uh, on the media uh, in in education as well um, a lot of people say well white uh, working class boys are particularly, are particularly suffering because they've been left behind. Exactly. And that's, and that's why I think we should have this conversation in that, in that kind of joined up way. Yes. Yeah? So we're talking about women getting into the top management positions of CEOs of firms, senior, uh, prof, you know, people in the BBC, etc., yeah. uh, having big, uh, big, you know, discussions around access for women. Um, we, t- as you say, particularly in certain areas, the uh, representation of those from ethnic minorities in politics and journalism, etc., is a big issue. But the same process is going on for working class kids. Mm. Yeah. And they are systematically shut out. And education is part of the story. And then there's a large sort of barriers yeah, even if you're educationally successful, you don't get on in the same degree. And that, and I think when we talk about those, we should be talking about them as as sort of manifestations of the same issue, just yeah. with different different perspectives. Yes, no, I couldn't agree more. I think because there's often been conversations around the representation of black and ethnic minority people, for example, on TV, um, in the news business, in 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 uh, uh, in acting professions, and all of that. But very often. The, the black and ethnic minority people working in those uh, particular arenas are, in fact, very middle class. They're not coming yes. from working class backgrounds either. Absolutely. Exactly. So, so, yeah, so there's this kind of extra layer. And then you get into what you're describing, which is, you know, sort of double disadvantage. Yeah. yeah. If, you know, if you're a working class woman, you earn, earn less than a working class man. Yeah. You know, and so on and so forth. You know, ethnic minority people from working class families are both got the kind of penalties associated with their, you know, deprivation and childhood and also uh, their ethnicity. They tend not to, they're not purely additive. It's not like you get 
two 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 doses if you know what i mean it's sort of one and a half one and three quarters rather than two if you know what i mean but you do get these this double disadvantage yeah yeah exactly right and what about the core the, the sort of the causes and the cures then for this kind of situation because i'm not hearing and without wishing to get into party politics because we're we're in an election period and everything else um i'm not really hearing anybody talking about curing this particular problem which to me yeah. seems to be a particularly british disease well, yeah, you're right. I mean, um, successive governments now, sort of dating back to when Gordon Brown was prime minister, have championed that we should be doing something about social mobility or inequalities in opportunities in, in Britain. And, and, and Boris Johnson made some statement uh, only a couple of days ago uh, about this kind of space. Um, and the story is that when people do it, they tend to focus on education, which, as I said, is about half the story, not the full story. Right. And even in education, there is a very slight narrowing of uh, attainment gaps between those from deprived and, and more affluent families. It's moving a little, but it's pretty glacial. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so, uh, and that's the area where the government has significant levers. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. Education. Yes. Yeah. Right. And it's the, even there, we're not doing terribly well. So, um, so there's that side to it, which is that we, you know, we need to rethink, if you like, the strategy. But I want to sort of talk a bit more about the other. And when we sort of talk about sort of gender pay gaps, which we would just sort of were, there are campaigns around getting, you know, more women on boards of companies, more uh, opening up uh, uh, the law and the police to ethnic minorities and so on, uh, we need to engage in a similar way of thinking. So we need to be getting firms, just as they have to monitor their sort of gender uh, patterns, their ethnicity mm. patterns, to be focusing on who they are employing in terms of their family origins and who gets accessed, you know, you know, gets hired and who gets promoted, yeah? And try to look at what the barriers are that seem to occur, right? So studies have started to go into firms where and look at their administrative data, yeah? And quite a number of firms collect this now, particularly in the sort of top, top professions about, you know, family origins of people. And what you sort of find is that they... Uh, select from, because we're talking top professions, a very small number of universities, right? The ones that they view as, as the elite yes. universities, yeah? And those elite universities overly, you know, overly, you know, attended by kids from certain social backgrounds, right. yeah? Uh, the worst, Who actually. tend to end up in the Houses of Parliament, which is the other problem, because, you know, I've worked down there a lot this year. Um, there are very few people, even with my background, which was pretty sort of basically middle ordinary, class, you know? Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, and, you know, and so some universities... And the worst is actually Bristol, which is just down the road from me in Bath. Oh. But, um, um, so... Funny we, enough, I went to Bath University very many years ago. Yes, oh, right. I dare say it's oh, well, changed quite a bit since I was there. Probably not, actually. <laughs> um, it's the same kind of stuck on a hill and freezing the, yeah, cold. Are the, are the um, blocks still falling off, uh, yes, off, the, exactly, uh, off yeah. the campus. Yeah, <laughs> yes, there, yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, so, so one of the strategies or one of the things we need to be talking about is the recruitment behaviour of top firms, mm. yeah, and widening out to try and look for talent uh, across the board rather than, in a sense, prejudging talent by what university people have attended and so on, yeah? And we need to be challenging them to look at their own, you know, information and to see where in the processes. And the big stumbling point seems to be around interviews, that people are called, 
you know, uh, to to jobs, if you like, you know, to be interviewed pretty evenly according to qualifications and that kind of stuff if you went to the same kind of university. But disproportionately, the kids from more affluent backgrounds mm. are selected at the interview. They're, they're obviously better at selling themselves in some way. Yeah. They come across better. They feel like they will fit in more. And organizations need to challenge themselves to look for talent and and in people's capabilities rather than replicating themselves. Yes. Otherwise, nothing ever changes. No, I totally agree with that. Paul, it's a fascinating conversation. Do come back to us when you've done that other paper because I'd be genuinely interested to talk about that. Paul Gregg uh, there, who is Professor of Economic and Social Policy at the University of Bath. Edgar uh, has got some ideas for what he wants for free. He says, how about this? Free hospital parking, free university teaching, nationalised railways, nationalised water, nationalised gas, nationalised electricity, a home for every homeless person, extra tax for landlords, guaranteed two-year tenancy, free internet, high tax for everyone. <laughs> I think he's tugged a bit in his cheek there, Edgar, but thank you very much for that. A mid-morning dance with the devil. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham. On Talk Radio. It's Friday, it's 12.34, and it's time for this. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Perrier Awards. Special election music. No, it's the same. Is it uh, the same? It's not very electiony. This music is it? Well, it's kind of election night music, isn't it? I guess so. Yeah, and maybe in America. Yeah, quite you definitely can see Donald Trump walking out to this. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, welcome back after your prolonged absence. Yeah, I was off for one day. What about the other day? Yeah, but no one knows that. Oh, there were two uh, days. No Perry Awards that day. Okay, no. Well, there might be. I don't know. I wasn't recording them. No. Well, I you... don't know. I wasn't listening either. So maybe you did do an extra one. It's just one. hopeless, isn't it? Get on with it. <laughs> okay. Welcome, everyone, to the Perry Awards. <laughs> this is where we go back over the past week of the so called Independent Republic so-called. of Mike Graham and choose our favourite moments. And what a week it's been on here, your election station, yes. the strap line that's just waiting for someone to trip up on to make a Perry Award. But anyway, not this week, I'm afraid. So let's find out what has won. Uh, Mike, as is tradition, you win the first first award. Thank you. A slight slip up on the impartiality rules, oh, I'm really? afraid. But fortunately, Dear. it wasn't about the English general election. Oh, good. Uh, last night, a couple of things happened. The Vox Party, which is the uh, very right-wing popular party. Um, sorry, uh, right-wing populist party, populist. I say. Yeah, you got that wrong. Well, actually, I didn't, because they're also popular. Otherwise, they wouldn't have got double the number of seats that they got the last time, oh, would wow. they? So, actually, well, they're why'd popular why'd you correct yourself, populist. then? I didn't correct myself. I augmented my uh, statement. <laughs> well... That's such politics. You want to carry on with this? No. I don't think you're going to win. I'm not in the mood for that. (laughs) Uh, You also win (laughs) Um, Impression of the Week for your great take on a robot. Yes, like HS2. 88 billion quid going somewhere that nobody needs to go because they can already get there. Oh, three, four, 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 nine, nine, (laughs) one thousand. Yeah, I've been past that being code, obviously, by somebody else. I'm quite sure I did that. Uh, so um, it's no secret that we are the show with all the answers and the yeah. very best guests to provide them. Professor Darren Griffin this week managed to provide the explanation mm. of the week. But I still am not very keen on any sort of fizzy soft drinks for some reason. Oh, there you go. So maybe you were just a weird kid, I don't know. Very possibly. <laughs> I thought that was a bit under the belt, below yeah. the belt even. Yeah, you know, yeah. Why did he uh, say that? 
uh, quite a play to just come on the show and just <laughs> accuse you of being yeah. a weird kid. Should we blacklist him now? <laughs> yeah. Um, man of... Uh, where are we man. now? No, here man. we go. Uh, yes, Man of the People, Mike Graham <laughs> again now. Uh, that's you. And did you have to turn over the page there or something? Not yet, not no. yet. It's the next one. Dear uh you, you win the perrier for backtrack of the week. Mm. I mean, you tell how middle class these people are, right? Wrap your presence in a scarf. I mean, how many scarves do you think I've got? I've actually got quite a few scarves. <laughs> <laughs> I have actually got quite how a few scarves. How many scarves do you I'm have? I was quite 10. intrigued about it. I've got this. about ten. Why do you have so many? Well, it's the kind of thing that people buy for Christmas, you know? Yeah. It's like, I don't think I've actually ever bought one, mm. but people will tend to a buy it. So I've got a blue one, I've got a, a grey one, I've got a camel one. And I've, I've never seen you wear any of them, really. Well, that's Maybe because you don't come ten. out with me in the evenings. When no, it's colder. well, you beg and you beg, and I say yeah. no. Well, you came out last night, went home about six o'clock. Well, I went to a gig. Oh, what was it? Jerry Cinnamon at Who? the Brixton Academy. Oh, He's very, Scottish. We oh, played him on the trendy. show yesterday. Yeah, Thank right. you. Did you anyway. wear a scarf? Uh, no, it's, oh. it's quite warm in there anyway. Okay. Anyway. Anyway, twice. Uh, Turn no. another page. Uh, now, it's going well, this. Uh, now it's time for everyone's favourite perrier, the horse of the week. Yes, that goes to Daniela dos Santos, the president of the British Vets Association. I mean, the only thing he doesn't really eat is onions because apparently that's not very good for them. Now, of course, I'm not accusing Daniela of being a horse. No, but as a vet, she's from she the probably dogs has trust. a. Isn't she the dogs? There's no, not somebody she, else. No, that was someone else. This oh. is from the Vets Association, so she must have been working on a horse oh, okay. or something. Uh, this week has been all about alliances and deals, of course. Lorraine in Chelmsford, though, told us about the collaboration of the week. Yes. Alistair Burt of our Foreign Office, who was party with Nigel Benn with the Benn Act. Nigel oh, yeah. Benn, the boxer. Because, you know, I didn't pick that up at the time. I, never th- <laughs> I, I, was, I was so busy listening to the story about uh, Alistair Burt. Yeah, you forgot that she just mentioned the boxer. Yeah. That's, he's coming back, I think. I, I wonder what sort of act he would put on if he went to Parliament. Mm, maybe. It's hard to know, yeah. isn't it? He used to live behind my primary school. He was on Eamon's show not long ago. Yeah, exactly. So, any other <laughs> Nigel Benn trivia we no, got here? don't know anymore. Although he did pers- he pulled out of the fight that he was meant to be having, I think. Oh, has that already happened? Oh, never mind. Well, no, it didn't happen. That's oh, the point. I see. Uh, anyway, more boxing. Yeah. News to Over come. to the sports department. Yeah. Uh, back to you, Mike. <laughs> you win, and I like this one, suggestion of the week. Let's talk to James Max, who is, of course, business breakfast presenter uh, here at Talk Radio. And uh, he's on every morning. Uh, and you can get him up very early in the morning, if, if you so wish. Mm, whatever floats your boat. Very much so. Uh, over to Alex Dibble now, who has been reporting from the Midlands for us to cover the floods this week. Uh, he was joined by a flogged victim, Ralph, who didn't let his circumstance get in the way of him winning the fact checker of the week. Curated how many people have been uh, put out of their homes and, and, and any ideas of when they could go back? Well, Ralph and Fran are just two of, of many hundreds who've been oh, evacuated from... Exactly, yeah. so, sorry, well, you were saying, Ralph? That, 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 I was quoting on the television the other day, there were 400. <laughs> well, <laughs> well, I won't let Alex get away with not having that no, stat there. I see he shook, shook them off before he did his report today. He did what? Never mind. Uh... <laughs> Steady. <laughs> Alex Dibble also wins Reporter of the Week, not for that, but for managing <laughs> to... <laughs> to really paint a picture of the horrifying ordeal that these poor flood victims are going through. Just to give you an idea of how bad it is, this is what happens when I try and go anywhere. <laughs> we, is, that, is that bad enough we, for you? We believe you. I'm not sure we should carry on with these flood analogies, to be honest. I think we've had enough. 
really showed what they were going. He just yeah. made it sound like he's walking through a puddle. Do you know at the BBC they used to have a box with shoes in it and it had like gravel and that was all they did. They just had a box. So yeah, not, not on the news though. That would be uh, for dramas. Yeah. You're not suggesting that the BBC news just make up the news, are you? Well, other people that have suggested that. Well, we don't. I wouldn't be one of them, no, obviously. No. That would be wrong. Sandy War now, yes. breakfast newsreader. Proper news. She wins the coveted illness of the week. The American singer John Legend has been named the sexiest man alive by People magazine, he says. <coughs> Excuse me, he's excited at the honour. I'm quite overcome after that, aren't I? <coughs> Let's get the trouble. Here's Emily Rose Adams. I didn't know she was so emotional. John Legend, who knew? <laughs> That's the first time I've heard that, sorry. <laughs> You're supposed to produce this section know, of the show. I know, but it was a last-minute edition. Oh, right. Um, now, Charlotte <laughs> Ivers, uh, singer and political reporter for us here yeah. at um, She Wins uh, Perriers for Pause of the Week for when talking about a politician this morning who we won't mention because impartiality rules are fun. Of course. He's got a pretty big offer to the electorate. Has really? he? <laughs> Who's that she's talking about? Uh, John McDonnell. OK. But... Um, not John Legend. Other, no. no. <laughs> I can't, sorry. But you get on with it. And finally, yes. back to you, Mike. Yes. Are you familiar with the concept of dubstep music? No. You're not? Okay, well, I'm surprised at that because, well, we'll listen to some now because you've become the dubstep musician of the week. Thank you. Uh, these are the kind of stories that keep uh, us remembering what actually was 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 it was 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 I'm good at that as well. Yeah, Who knew? Wah, 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 Something yeah. I could do in my retirement, perhaps. Yeah, yeah you've when... become the new Skrillex. Yes. Skrillex I've actually heard of. Yeah, well, he's a dubstep musician. Is he? Yeah. Well, I've actually got one of his songs. Have you? My Bangarang? Daughter, Bangarang, yeah. My daughter met him, funnily enough, on a, a cruise ship going to uh, the Bahamas. Wow, what are the chances? Yeah. That's it for the Perry Awards. Thank you. There'll be more next week. Marvellous. The Perrier Awards on Talk Radio. Across the UK, online and on DAB, the independent republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. If you enjoyed that, be sure to catch the whole show 10 to 1, Monday to Friday on Talk Radio, via DAB, online or via the Talk Radio app. If you have an opinion on the stories we cover, we'd love to hear from you. Call us 0344 499 1000 or tweet at Talk Radio during the show to have your say. The independent republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. 